Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. This week's show, delighted to be joined by Claudio Damoli, the SVP and treasurer at IGT PLC. Now, for those of you who don't know, IGT is the global leader in gaming. Listed on the New York Stock Exchange, holding company headquarters throughout the world with other headquarters around the world. So truly a global company. They carry out business in over 100 countries, more than 10,000 employees across the globe. I'm not going to talk more about IGT. I'm going to let Claudio do that later in the show. As always, I want to hear from him. Not You don't want to hear from me. You've heard enough. Uh, Claudio, let's go back to uh, the beginning Hi, of your career. Hello, sir. Um, Hi. How did you first ever discover where well, you started finance and then treasury? We were just talking before the show. As always, over to you, Cher. You can kick things off. Over to you. Thank you, Mike. Yes, I did start in uh, the financial sector in the early 90s. It was really top choice for graduates in Europe. Uh, the dream come through going to the city. So I did all that. I spent about eight years uh, uh, mostly in analytical and strategy roles in banks. I started Unicredit in Italy. I moved to London, complete my education with a MSc in finance. Uh, at the same time, I started working for banks and I worked for Bell Lynch, I worked for maybe an Umbro. But after eight years in the financial sector, I thought I needed uh, something that was more for the long haul, a career choice that could help me build something. And call from Italy came, and by chance, I landed my first uh, uh, treasury role. And what appealed to you at that early stage? Because you you got that time in banking, so you'd got a breadth of experience, maybe met a number of different companies or been exposed to them. But why treasury? You said the long haul. And I've got to say to actually listeners, I did say to Claudia before, he gave me some amazing briefing notes. So I actually know most of his story, and we're friends over many years, but... You know, it was it was just I could sat there and he could have just done the script himself. But this is one thing he didn't actually touch on. But why then were you drawn into the world of treasury, as it were? Yes. Yeah, so I must say I wasn't very good to sell. And uh, banking roles I were in, I expected them to be analytical and strategy, you know, sort of uh, economy or market economist uh, or, or, or strategy. I really liked crunching numbers. Right. I always felt that uh, the sales part was, I was not very good at and uh, wasn't giving uh, me the, the right vibes. So I really w- was interested to apply the technical skills and the all I had learned in, in, in banking to the corporate, I thought I could bring a good value to a corporate. And my area of focus was especially foreign exchange and interest rate risk. Um, my master's was quantitative finance. Uh, and so I thought I had all the toolbox uh, to then land my first treasury role as person in charge of the FX management. And, you know, at a corporate that has a lot of FX in the in the nineties, uh, we're talking just as the euro was being adopted, Mike. So, uh, nineteen ninety nine. What does that mean? You know, again, you and I have both existed in that world, and that was the big early stages of my treasury recruitment career. And I had all these foreign exchange dealers coming to me and going, "Can you get me a job? Euro, it's going to cancel a lot of the stuff I used to do day to day." And you know, and I was like, "Yeah, it will." 
it needs to be much more higher level thinking and, and things like that. It sounds like that was what intrigued you about Treasury as well. Um, not not really, because I uh, really felt that I had a role in effects, even in banking, even after the euro. I, at the time, I was involved in uh, emerging markets, currencies in Central Eastern Europe. And when I started at Fiat, in their uh, FX uh, and uh, and interest rate risk management department, I was really looking at emerging markets. And in the early 2000s, we had a devaluation in Brazil. So the experience that I had accumulated so far, starting from the 92, 93 European currency crisis, uh, the devaluation of the pound of the lira, and that uh, troubled the uh, years that culminated in the euro in 1999, all of that was uh, was very helpful uh, for the role that I landed. Tell us about the group you joined. How do you say it? Stella Atlantis, or you know, and then they were formerly Fiat and things. What was sure. what was that starting for you like in Treasury? Oh, was it completely different? Was was mind blowing? You know, there was there was a great team. A lot of people to learn from. I must say, the risk management guys were were quite isolated. Seemed a little bit like the the mad scientists uh, in, inside the whole treasury. We had uh, Reuters dealing terminals. We had Bloomberg's when uh, nobody else had. Uh, you know, we 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 had a lot of technology, and uh, you know, we we were number uh, freaks. That's not a bad thing, uh, in treasury. Come on. No, it's no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> of counterparties, we we were well respected. Uh, but also we were riding uh, multi-billion dollars or euros exposures in countries, as I said, Brazil, Latin America, in the early 2000s was, was in great turmoil. So it was, was a 24-7 uh, job, was, was very challenging. But I must say, time progressed, I found that. But I still had a lot to learn about the corporates, right? I When I uh, left Fiat in 2003, I had a, a limited exposure to what treasury as a whole means for an organization like, like that. And so it was decisive to then do a little bit of consulting, doing some projects in the areas of cash management, of forecasting. That equipped me better to take my first corporate treasurer role, which was in 2004. And you joined Autogrill. Uh, I joined Autogrill, a company, uh, because it, it was an Italian uh, listed uh, and an Italian uh, majority owned company, but had made a few years before a transformational acquisition in the US. So when I joined, more than 50% of the company's business was deriving from, from the US, where the company is still very successful running food and beverage in the uh, highway uh, plazas as well as the main uh, airports in the US. Big business, lots of lots of flows and things like that. That's when I think we'd you know got to know each other around those days. Yeah. It was quite a while ago. But but what was it like for you as a treasury professional going in there? Was it sophisticated to sit back in your chair or what was it like? Well, I would say it was quite sophisticated, uh, the area where we then needed less sophistication, which was that of the currency management, because it was the years that uh, YAS-39 was being adopted. Both IR4S uh, and US GAAP for derivatives were uh, imposing new ways of managing risks for, for corporates, a lot less speculative, a more long-term uh, conservative hedging approach. Less transactions, very tight 
link to the to the underlying exposure. So the emphasis was put not on being good traders, but being good forecasters and good managers of uh, of exposures and doing the accounting properly and and the disclosures uh, that had never been done to that level of details before. So again, I I had a very good toolbox, but maybe not exactly what I. Uh, needed because I wasn't strong in the accounting. So I had to build all that. Um, At the same time, the company was not very centralized in terms of uh, cash management, liquidity management. So we had to do all that. And also as many corporates back in the day, the forecasting was not adequate to the challenges that the expansion uh, that the company was having at the time, uh, also throughout acquisitions and the fact that we were rapidly re-leveraging the balance sheet meant that we needed to do a better job estimating where our debt will be in three, six, 12 months, where our covenants were going to go and end after an acquisition and taking on more debt and all of that. So it was a very dense and very interesting start of, of that seven-year run. And with yourself, uh, that group, obviously, you alluded to it earlier that you're based in Italy, but you had a heck of a lot of stuff over, you know, over the Atlantic in the US as well. And that's something that then continued later on in your career. But if we go back to that, what was that like, you know, sort of dealing with both of the demands, you know, so, you know, you've got the Italian thing, Europe and everything else, but then you're also having to do a heck of a lot in the US, just just long days or, what, you know, what was it like for you as a treasury professional? It was really cultural uh, change and the cultural challenge. I realized, even since my days at Fiat, where also had exposure to the U.S., that uh, it was a really different way of uh, of, of looking at uh, treasury. And uh, so it was always a challenge to to translate uh, the corporate approach, the corporate policy, and make sure that it worked uh, for overseas as well. In other professions, it was about building uh, personal relationships. Take a flight, go there, uh, try to understand what they had uh, been doing before uh, me taking over and, uh, and, and why, and see if we could find a mutual way to continue to do business together and to be mutually beneficial. So as I was uh, obviously um, coming from a different business with different priorities, and I realized that my predecessors hadn't traveled and hadn't had that kind of uh, open uh, mindset. And so I think that helped a lot in understanding that this was the way to manage global teams and to make sure that the treasury worked and functioned in an organization regardless of where it was managed and uh, you know even uh, putting the the basis for a successful uh, work remote and you know being in control of treasury operations so many countries as I'm now at IGT and that was 10 years before it all kicked off, really, and the idea of remote working. So yeah. then talk us through, because you then you know went through another role, but to then get into IGT, give us, because I want to get into that, because there's some great information to share with the listeners. And we talked before this about you know, some of the experiences you've had at the group, which have been brilliant. But talk us through then the, the next couple of moves for you. 
IGT happened by chance. So my former boss at IGT, the CFO, I've known him since my early days at Unicredit in the early 90s. Uh, the challenge that IGT was having at the time in uh, 2012 was it had uh, a European treasurer and a U.S. treasurer. The U.S. treasurer was... Uh, in theory, the group treasurer, but a lot of the banking relationships were European. Right. And so a lot of the activity was actually based in, in Europe. So there was an issue of, again, integrating and uniforming policies and have a global uh, bank relationship management, avoid miscommunication towards uh, the external world, as well as uh, servicing the business, which was becoming more and more global, less, less territorial. In, uh, in, in the best way. So what the uh, CFO chose at the time was to bring an Italian guy who could understand Italian business, which at the time was uh, uh, more than 50% of the global business and has some uh, very particular peculiarities being a regulated uh, business uh, in Italy, but had also an exposure to the US. So was culturally uh, adapt uh, to take on a global role. And he chose to sit this uh, new role in the US, where most of the finance headquarters was at the time, and, and it still is. Yeah. So you made that move across. What was that like for you? Because, you know, we've talked before about how the role of the treasurer has changed, but also run, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later, but the, the sort of transition from Europe to the US. So you've seen it firsthand, you know, and I, we recruit in both markets mm-hmm. and there are some distinct, there are some similarities, but there are also some distinct differences. So what was it like when you got across there and your role as, you know, VP and treasurer and that grew from there, but what was it like for you differently? What were the differences well, I think the in the U.S. the treasurer has a status uh, that is quite different. Uh, is more a spokesperson, a gatekeeper for the entire company. Does have some official duties. It's basically seen as a uh, an entry point to the organization. So. There is a lot of visual uh, matters uh, signing, especially in a regulated industry. I am licensed by more than 100 jurisdictions in the, in the world. I uh, am uh, subject to scrutiny and all of that. But the pros are that a treasurer in the U.S., it seems to me, at least this is my experience, uh, can gain a better perspective on the company's business, has less chances of being cut out from the actions, from the decision-making. As I said before, the role has changed. Uh, the my, my, my early days, my career, I felt more uh, a specialist, isolated, and, and certainly that has changed. But in the U.S., I think it's, uh, I found, at least this is my experience, I found it to be a lot more integrated into the broader company and have a better access to information and ultimately be in a position to better understand how I can add value to the to the entire organization. To the group. And as part of that, and sort of an extension of that, because, um, you know, over the time that we've done the podcast over three years now, I've talked to a lot of treasury professionals and about the evolution of the role of the treasurer. As, as you mentioned before, it was sort of some, in some ways previously, it was slightly ivory towered. That's a treasury looks after the money and da, da, da. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. over time, it's sort of pushing yourself out there to the business. And this is what we can do to help you guys and selling the dream of treasury internally, as well as the external involvement, but it's much more working with the internal counterparties 
how are you doing that effectively? You know, what's your you know ethos when you you know you're working with those guys? Because again, sometimes I said, "Oh, are you going in with a big stick to these guys?" Not to you, but to other treasurers. You're going in with a big, you know, must do this, must do this. No, no, actually, right. much more. Look, guys, you can carry on doing it like that, but give me, yeah. you know, if you work with us, or reach out and I'll give you the advice and I'll support you. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're there well, that- to really help as a real support. How have you done that? Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly uh, right. So I think there is no magic, right? So you have to uh, start selling yourself as a trusted partner more than uh, um, uh, someone who dictates rules or applies uh, handbooks. Uh, I think one crucial thing is having a CFO who has gone through treasury and that, uh, you know, as is, is my experience with, um, with most my bosses at, at IGT. So they, they do understand treasury and do understand how treasury is crucial and can add value. So they brokered that entry into projects, into information and make it easier to add value and, and act as a trusted partner to the organization. It is, I think it must have changed also the way that uh, CFOs look at treasure. I remember in my early days in this role, uh, CFOs tended to be quite suspicious of the risk that dealing with derivatives, dealing with with the markets uh, and the volatility of those markets, and maybe not the robustness of internal controls could cause to the the organization. So the fact that internal controls have evolved, uh, the treasurer's role is more understood. I think most CFOs now are a lot more relaxed about the risks that Treasury could pose to the organization and are more inclined to see the advantages and and to uh, help Treasury being integrated and part of that broader finance organization and as a whole to the overall company and have the Treasury involved uh, in many aspects of the company as much as possible. So key and the other is having the resources and the experienced people. I don't know everybody in the organization that Treasury deals with, but I'm fortunate enough to have very seasoned professionals who've been longer than I have and have those connections and you know manage to be in the right place at the right moment. So we do capture projects, we do capture investments before they get really live and we're able to to add value. And do you, you talk there about the sort of internal relationships and working with those guys. Let's, can, I just want to bring it back to, can you just explain IGT for the listeners just so that they understand what you do and what I mean by right. that is to explain the, the depth of the group and then bring that back to Treasury. You know, what how sure. maybe how that's different to other treasurers out there. Mm-hmm. When I joined TIGT was then called uh, first Lotomatica and then uh, GTAC. It was a mainly a lottery company, by which I mean that it was uh, providing uh, technology and services to uh, state-run lotteries around the world, first and foremost in Italy and, and the U.S., it had significant presence uh, internationally. We already have like close to the hundred countries over that we have now, but uh, you know, fairly small. So the 
Polka, the business was uh, was lotteries in Italy, one of the largest worldwide, and more than fifty percent of the U.S. Uh, state-run lotteries. But then in two thousand and fifteen, uh, IGT came by as an opportunity for an acquisition, and then the entire group renamed IGT after the newly acquired company. And IGT was a gaming machines manufacturer, had some uh, business in digital and, and interactive as well, which had grown over time, but mostly was gaming machines. So the, the one of the largest uh, providers of gaming machines to the casino market in uh, the US as well as uh, internationally. So the next few years were very interesting as we integrated the two companies that were quite different. Lottery is based on long-term contracts. So you have a certain uh, uh, predictability of uh, cash flows, which definitely makes uh, running treasury as well as building a highly leveraged capital structure more appropriate, raise capital more easily in the market. You get a better rating from rating agencies. While the gaming machine market is a lot more product sales dependent and has less uh, predictability. So the two companies were, were very different. But you as a treasurer, what's coming at you? What are the things, not that keep you awake at night, but you have to sort of keep an eye on your shoulder, you're talking to the team, you're doing your weekly review. We've been through recent pandemic, obviously, you know, and we've done that, you know, so many times on the show, let's not even get into that too much. <laughs> but that being said, we're coming through the other side. What's now in your mind? Is it the rise of technology? What is the CFO saying to you, Claudio, we need to be thinking about this? I think continues on the strengthening our balance sheet and being stronger in the credit markets and being recognized as leader and get more attention to, to our debt as well as to our stock. The classic goals, more the micro level, and you are definitely more aware than I am. Uh, here in the states, uh, we have a struggle to retain talent. Maybe the press exaggerates on the great resignation, but we can see some of this going on, and it's always crucial to try and grow talent and retain talent. And when someone leaves the team, uh, it might be a little bit of a struggle to recruit and place talent with equally valuable team members. So. That is something I am definitely focused on at the moment. And he's obviously getting, Claudio's getting great advice from me, and we we always talk <laughs> and whenever he needs it. But that aside, obviously from the uh, recruitment advice you get, we don't actually make this a sales podcast for us. But if you're looking for a job, call us. Looking to recruit, call us. But not Claudio, we'll do that separately. I'm interested more in that talent aspect. Exactly as you say, funnily enough, we're, we've just recently put together the results of our salary survey. And actually... We're talking to people and this hybrid ways of working. It's all about the salaries. It's not about the salary. Salary comes about sixth or seventh down the line. And actually, it's about a good boss and all these other things that make jobs worthwhile rather than just the salary. Yes, it's an element, but it's not the only element and it's not the key element. With you as a treasurer, what do you, as exactly as you say, there's a lot of changes coming through, particularly with the US market. What steps are you taking? What are you thinking about? How are you working with your team to try and minimize that people risk, if you like? What are you doing about that? Mobility inside the team is uh, is key to me. It's not always uh, easy because people tend to develop specialized skills. Don't cash management for many years. It's difficult to move them to 
to an FX role or uh, more to an accounting role. And I don't tend to do that very often or very abruptly. You know, always very careful to avoid people going out of the comfort zone. But definitely, you know, we've had some instances that people had opportunity to grow. And I see that the go and get it attitude, as I call it, is very important. So, you know, have them swim in the big pool for, for some time. I'm always here for support, but that works. And, you know, trying to retain uh, sometimes money is outside of the treasure scope. You know, you have uh, in large companies like ours have HR policies and so on. So it's really trying to keep the team cohesive and by giving people opportunity to move around and grow. As I said, it's not always easy. It is a challenge there as well. I mean, we're talking about the people aspects there and you're a global company coming out of some challenging times. What are the other aspects of Treasury that are coming at you? To give an example, I was asked the other day, someone said, oh, would you run a session for us? I was like, yeah, yeah, what, what do you think? About the development of technology throughout the pandemic. And I was like, are you mad? <laughs> they were like, what? Well, I said, no, <laughs> it hasn't developed. Treasurers like you know, like yourself, Claudia, you know, been under intense pressure, and you spent more time working with people and handholding and coaching and all these other skill sets you really had to bring to the fore. Now that's not going away, but it's like other priorities are coming along. What are the key things you're seeing as we go forward from here? What do you think is next, sort of thing? We do have a big technology project in the works here. And certainly we've always been uh, historically well before I joined, I think, at the forefront of the automation. And we continue to do that. I don't think this as complicated or innovative as it used to be 15 or 20 years ago. I mean, now there's a lot of technologies available and companies need to understand they have to put the resources to run a more efficient treasury. For us, it's always the internal controls. It's always to being so diversified and complex to keep an eye on the entire world. And it is continue to understand the priorities and demands of the business. We've recently reorganized and changed our organization from geographical one to a segment organization. So understanding how we can better serve those three different segments, which are very diverse, uh, one to the other. And then if I look at the global macro environment, probably going through a phase of reinflationary expectations and rising interest rates. So some of the volatility and riding the cycles that I learned in the 90s with currency volatility and interest rates that were very volatile, maybe will come useful again. Yeah, probably a bit more of your day job. You know, that's what I was talking. I was talking to a treasurer the other day, and he said, Do you know what? It'll actually be quite nice to just focus on the practical skills he's developed as a treasurer. You know, there's been a lot of stretch for a lot of treasurers like yourself, sort of thing, over the past two, three, five years, sort of thing. Now, but this is what makes treasury interesting and exactly. then fascinating. That is so diverse. And each company I've worked at was different priorities, each uh, stage of my career had different priorities and there were different themes that were important to focus on. So as we approach the end of today's show, we always go to our top tips, you know, for the listeners and, you know, maybe those themes of what you're going to finish with today. But, you know, if someone's listening in today and they come through the show and they say, do you know what? I want Claudio's job or I want a job like that, developing their careers or maybe a bit later on in their careers. What takeaways would you give to people listening today 
I think it's uh, in no particular order, I would focus on three things. First, understand priorities and demands for the business and adapt to the circumstances. I've, uh, I think I've, I've talked about that long, long enough. Yeah, lovely. Uh, second, that's very important to me is speak up. Take decisions and don't be shy voicing one's opinion and be transparent, be accountable and be consistent. How do you encourage that as a treasurer? You know, because there might be some treasurers listening to today saying, yeah, I'm trying that. But sorry, a sub tip, if you like, how do you do that? Encourage your team to speak up. It applies at all levels. So if you have a team that speaks up and is encouraged to open up, then you can build a more robust position that you can bring up. So again, to that concept of spokesperson or your team, you might be a spokesperson for the rest of the organization. The most important thing is always to be transparent and accountable and and consistent. So not change views too often, but if you have a good reason to change your views, don't be shy to, to do that and don't be shy to take responsibility for a mistake and change courses. Again, to that concept of adaptability that I was mentioning before. Is that all of your tips? Because I did jump in. Well, I think, yeah. I think an ethical approach and prioritize people management also work well uh, for, for treasurer as, as they do for any executive in any companies. Amazing. Well, I knew it was going to be like this. This is very, uh, what's the word, pleasing to have you on the show. Well, an easy one, Claudio, because we're, we're very good friends. We've known each other for many years. And you guys listening today, feel free to reach out and connect. He's a great guy to have in your network. Can't wait to see you in real life one day. So, yeah, another conference. <laughs> we'll be back. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hello, it's Mike here again. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you did, then maybe you want to follow the show or subscribe depending on where you listen whether that's iTunes, Spotify or another great place to listen to the show from it's totally free and means that you'll be the first to see each and every week when we release a new show and maybe whilst you're there you could even leave a quick review reviews and ratings are among the most important metrics for a podcast to effectively rank and as you can probably appreciate the podcast is a lot of hard work to produce every week it'd be amazing just take say 20 seconds leave a quick review of my amazing guests and their great career stories we'd really appreciate it thanks very much and i can't wait to see you soon